Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for the College Football Inquirer with Dan Wetzel. Why do you not want your championship? Well, we get to go to this whole game and I went on a cruise. <laughs> Pete Think of how much Sam Pittman we were deprived of, right? <laughs> with SI's Pat Forty. This will be sword against club. This is not going to be high-tech, you know, pyrotechnic football. Here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. Uh, welcome to the pod. It's officially the race for the case edition. But we got a lot of other stuff to get to as well, because this is this is what this week is all about. Appreciate everyone who has subscribed lately. Got a surge in subscriptions, listenership, everything. Keep sharing us on social media. Hit us up all weekend. Hashtag CF, CFE, College Football Inquirer. CFE, there'll be a lot of fun on Saturday. Uh, and you can read everyone else's jokes. We got the funniest group of uh, podcast listeners uh, going. Uh, total absurdity and mayhem hit on Twitter. So hashtag CFE. They are a clever bunch, I have to say. Clever bunch of misanthropes, miscasts. Yeah, they are. They are. And they're watching every game. Like, if yeah. there's some little thing, ha- little hijinks in the match action, they'll, they're they're watching closely. Closely. So, yeah. hit Our us listeners up. aren't the, like, casual, like, hey, is, is Alabama going to be good this year kind of fan? <laughs> or, like, who's going to make the playoff? They're like, yeah. They are the Steven Dazio got ejected in the first half. That yeah, that's, right. that is exactly who right. they There's are. There's an animal on the field in yeah. the FCS yeah. playoffs. <laughs> they not only know, they know the sport, but they also have a keen eye for absurdity, which we really appreciate. So keep and keep subscribing. Obviously, it's been a big week, but we go all year round. We never stop talking because the mayhem never ends. So appreciate everybody. So we will get to our picks. We will break down the big games. We will get to the playoff race. We'll get to the expansion of the playoff. How about oh, this? Games? I mean, uh, are they playing games? Yeah, there's weekend? games that will determine a playoff. <laughs> there is an ex- possible expansion of a playoff, and where that ain't even going to be the lead story. Nope. We're going to go with the uh, almost certain elevation, the promotion of Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame. Big thing. Who is Notre Dame going to take to replace Brian Kelly? Uh, this guy could potentially coach in the playoff, as we'll get to. Uh, 35 years old, Wayne, Ohio, Dayton area, Ohio State player, was a uh, NFL player for a couple years before they found out he had an enlarged heart, decided to become a coach. Excellent career move. <laughs> He's now the going to be the head coach at Notre Dame. 29-year-old Tommy Reese, former Notre Dame quarterback, is going to stay on as the offensive coordinator. whole bunch of the staff is staying. Notre Dame is going big on a youth movement. There is no, you know, we've seen this at other schools and it has worked. Some of these assistants that have just, uh, with no head coaching experience, William Christopher Sweeney, Ryan Day, Lincoln Riley, even Kirby Smart, he went to a different school. Now we see it at Notre Dame. They're swinging big with Marcus Freeman. These usually, yeah, it works spectacularly or not at all. Uh, I don't know. Uh, And then there is the additional, look, I talked to a a number of high school coaches uh, the last two days, particularly most of them African-American in major cities. And it is not without notice that Notre Dame, staid, conservative, old school Notre Dame uh, has a 30, might have a 35 year old African-American head coach. Uh, That is a, a head spinner and a jolt of attention to, to that program and, and good for Notre Dame. Uh, we've given plenty of chances to the the assistant coach white guy, as I just listed. Too often with the African-American coach, it's, well, you got to get a little more experience. 
So uh, Notre Dame thinks they've got lightning in a bottle here, and we're going to find out. Pat, your thoughts on on the the Marcus Freeman promotion? Fascinating, and everything that goes along with it. That basically Notre Dame just cut off Brian Kelly's coattails. They they shut down the pipeline south to Baton Rouge. Marcus Freeman is not going. Tommy Reese is not going. Mike Elston is not going. Matt Bayless, the office strength coach, is not going. Uh, so they're keeping everything but the head coach, just about. They're, then they're hoping then that that helps keep that recruiting class, which is one of the best they've ever had and one of the best in the country for 2022. You, you do not have to look very far or very hard to find Marcus Freeman admirers. Uh, he is been a really impressive guy throughout his college career and in the coaching ranks. He and Luke Fickle basically joined at the hip. Fickle helped recruit him to Ohio State, was his position coach as a linebacker. Uh, when Freeman wanted to get out of uh, the NFL and into coaching, he first tried to talk him out of it, but then he brought him in as his GA, coaching linebackers, and then he went off to, uh, to join Daryl Hazel and coached with him and at, after Purdue, and then he went and joined as the defensive coordinator at a young age at Cincinnati. And that coupling worked phenomenally. And then finally, Freeman went his own way, obviously, but not before Luke Fickle became the godfather of one of his six children. They both have six kids. Uh, and, uh, you know, now they're going their own way. But if, if Fickle had gone to Notre Dame, Freeman could have gone to Cincinnati. So it's interesting just how intertwined those two are. But you know, I, I like what you said. So these things either work really well or sometimes not at all. We don't know. Uh, all signs are that this could be a great hire, but we'll see when they start actually leading the program. Yeah, it, and, you, and you do never know, right? They, we could sit here and talk about all the hires we were sure would work that, uh, you know, have, uh, have have backfired. To me, philosophically, this is, a, this is a really interesting hire. First of all, I'm a big Marcus Freeman fan as a, as a person. I think there was a great element here in his story, and it's a good lesson for young coaches on betting on yourself. He could have gone two years ago after Mel Tucker got the Michigan State job, you know, could have basically tripled his salary, not quite, but close to it, to go be a DC at Michigan State, stayed at Cincinnati, leads him on that undefeated team, coached against Georgia in that Peach Bowl last year where they uh, where they pretty much shut him down, and then has the decision between LSU and Notre Dame last year takes a deep dive, goes on the recruiting trip on the private plane, meets Coach O, goes through, every, goes through both car washes, if you will. Makes one of the great decisions I've ever seen a young coach make, right? He looked at LSU and said, you know what? It's going to be more money, but I don't know if that's the best decision for my long-term trajectory. So he goes to Notre Dame, and uh, 11 months later, he's the head coach of Notre Dame. So to me, from the, from the macro Pat mentioned the sort of cutting off the pipeline to Baton Rouge. This hire, which there's elements of hire that are risky, right? He's never been head coach. But there's also a lot of elements of this hire that are safe. You either, in, in college football now, Brian Kelly told me this spring in his office, they have like 100 employees of Notre Dame football, you know, between assistant coaches, trainers, massage therapists, nutritionists, recruiting, the whole, the whole thing. So they were basically saying, we're going to keep – and I'm just, I'm, I'm guessing here, 75 out of the 100 people we have, we're going we're gonna to keep the infrastructure and we're going to keep three quarters of on-field coaching staff and we're going to bet on the established infrastructure as opposed to maybe a more established head coach who's going to come in and bring in 50, 70 new humans who are going to all create a different dynamic. And so that's what we see. We saw in the Ryan Day handoff that we saw in the Lincoln Riley handoff. They felt great about what they built. The, the thing my sources told me Wednesday night that was really a, a key mile marker in the Notre Dame decision making process was that the players themselves, the players that didn't run in and say, we want Marcus Freeman. The players had a lot of pride in what they would built and the culture they'd help establish. They're 44 and six, I believe, the last four years. That's an astounding run, right? It's an astounding run. And the players didn't want a new guy with new slogans and a new strength, like all that stuff. They really feel like at Notre Dame next year, this can be their best team in the last decade. They have a lot of guys coming back. They don't lose other than Kyle Hamilton, who's a huge loss. You know, any huge, 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 irreplaceable guys. Michael Mayer could be the best offensive player in college football going into next season, et cetera. So they basically wanted to keep rolling with what they built. And, and I think that was really interesting that they stepped up 
and, and, and pointed that out. I had never quite heard that rationale. And it, do, it makes a ton of sense, right? At, at a place like Notre Dame, those kids are asked to do a lot. Uh, all college football players are asked to do a lot. At a place like Notre Dame, you've got to take the math classes. You've got to go through, you know, go through a, a real college experience uh, as, as well. And so I, I thought that was a really interesting window into, into how we ended up here. So I listened the other day to the uh, podcast Inside the Garage, which uh, if you know Kyle Hamilton, Cam Hart, KJ Wallace, uh, all and uh, Connor Radigan, I think four Notre Dame players have their own podcast. It's great. Well, needless to say, there was an emergency pod. Their coach bailed, right? So like, they <laughs> we were know about emergency pods. So do they. Good for them. <laughs> they're they're like, I guess we got to have a, a, an emergency pod. It's called Inside the Garage. And they were just talking about it. And a couple of things you just said, Pete, kind of just reminded me of this. One is they talked uh, how much they loved uh, Marcus Freeman and how he coaches them very hard, but he's fair and he's consistent. And it was a lot of qualities. So a lot of times the players are going to want a guy they know, right? Um, but that was what they were talking about. The other part was the um, there's a little edge that Brian left, but there was also the shrug like, hey, man, we're Notre Dame. We're, we're not Brian Kelly. Right. This, pro- this program is not about Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly, and you know, it, look, there's an old joke about Notre Dame alums, okay? You know, I know how you you know a guy went to Notre Dame or a woman went to Notre Dame. Wait two minutes, they'll tell you. They're very proud when they go to Notre Dame. They got in, and they made it through, and they're a very proud alumni group. And these guys were basically like, we're Notre Dame, not him. Like, we appreciate everything he did for us, but this is Notre Dame. And he's a coach, and coaches come and go, but the program stays. It was a fascinating little perspective. They weren't being obnoxious. It was just a, like, nobody, okay, you you see Lincoln Riley leaves Oklahoma, and I'm not taking any shots at Oklahoma. It's a prideful place and all that. But all of a sudden, guys are transferring, commits are, their decommitments. There's all this tumult. People were going to play for Lincoln Riley. These guys were all like, yeah, we'll get a good coach. Not one kid who was committed to Notre Dame immediately decommitted. Nobody was entering the transfer portal that I know of or anything like that. And it was sort of like, all right, and so if you have that, you want culture like that's a pretty nice culture. I don't know what this guy knows what the what how to work, you know, time manage clock management or what is going to make the right call on this. Or can he manage 100 people? Who knows? But there is a culture at Notre Dame that is very, very good. And so I think you're right, Pete. There is a risk in taking a guy who's never coached because we have no idea. There's also a risk in letting someone who know, can keep this train on the on the rails from walking out. And that includes this recruiting class, which is very good. And even more notably, the 2023 class it only has six commits. But Freeman is, was, was a critical part in those six commits. And all of them, four of them, are top 100 players. And we talk a lot about how there is a, if you can get those top, two of them will probably be top five stars. Notre Dame doesn't get that kind of level. And they only got six in. He can jumpstart recruiting to that next level if he can maintain. Now, look, Brian Kelly was one heck of a football coach. He has won everywhere. So the idea any rookie court, uh, coach is just going to be like, ah, oh, yeah, we're not missing a beat. That's going to be that would be very impressive if that happened. If you're looking to make that next jump and you've got to get it, well, this is the guy that maybe can take Notre Dame and get more of those elite players. That as 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 uh, Tommy Reese said when he met with the players so in a video they they sent out, let's go win a national championship. I don't know if Notre Dame's ever going to win a national championship, but very they, they you know look you bring in Pat Fitzgerald or something is he all of a sudden going to win those recruiting battles? I don't know. Is he a solid coach that'll do pretty good? I think yeah. So but there's a risk reward on each one. Yeah. No. I, I mean. You could theoretically get Notre Dame from top 10 to 15 recruiting classes to top five, and that's what they're looking at for this next year. Uh, And then we'll see beyond that, which could continue. And then you're in a different strata. Uh, We've talked about it, where you can get to a playoff, but there is still a talent gap between you and the teams that win the playoff, and maybe they can close that. But an exciting thing about Marcus Freeman, I think one thing people are excited about is He's a great recruiter, but he's not just the recruiter, which a lot of black coaches get typecast as. He's a player developer. Uh, he's a good strategy guy. He's a tactician. Uh, there's been a lot of praise for his work in that area as well. So 
You know, I think it's important for black coaches to see somebody get a job who's not just, oh, go go relate to the other African-Americans, okay? That, no, we want you to scheme and develop and do those things as well. And he's, you know, by all accounts, can do that. We'll, we'll find out for sure. But, uh, I, you know, I think that's a significant part of this as well. The the best compliment to Marcus as a tactician is, quite frankly, they struggled early this year. I mean, they right. almost lost at Florida State, which in retrospect would have been a pretty bad loss. They they got gashed in parts in that game. There was some, you know, understandable struggles in the transition from the the pass defense to, to Freeman's 3-3-5. Once things took hold, though, like, watch out. I mean, the, down the stretch, Notre Dame's defense uh, gave up less than a touchdown a game the last four games. And, you know, they really, when things clicked, they, they really clicked. So give Freeman a lot of credit for that. That's kind of a cool defense for Notre Dame to play. You're not going to see that in, in a lot of other, uh, you know, it's it's a little bit, it's not quite the option, but it's just like a little bit of a curveball that you're not expecting. You're not going to see it four other times that season. That's going to make opposing offensive coordinators uncomfortable. The, the one thing about Freeman, the, the person and the recruiter that I thought was striking was I was told last night, one of the big positives for Freeman, who came in 11 months ago as a defensive coordinator, was the kids on offense really felt a bond with him. Look, it's hard to bond with 100 players, right? Like that takes time and conscientiousness, and it's almost like a, a skill and a gift. And the players on offense felt as connected to Freeman as the players he was coaching on the defense. These football programs are these big organizations, right? Like it's it's like working at a big company. You know, you, you see everybody at the water cooler, the whole thing. And the fact that Freeman had the the gift to really connect with, get to know guys outside of the 50 guys he immediately needed to get to know on defense, I think said a lot, uh, said a lot about him. And that's that's a nuance that's really gonna that, that's really gonna resonate going forward, is that he made an effort to go get to know guys. Real quick, one one other thought on Freeman, the tactician here. They they had that run at the end where they allowed 23 points the last four games. Guess who didn't play in any of those games? Kyle Hamilton, their top five, top 10 pick. You know, I mean, that's impressive. That's usually when you see, you can see teams fall apart and they just immediately say, well, we lost our best guy. No, Notre Dame did great without their best guy. So kudos. And he, and if, if they make a playoff, Kyle Hamilton could be back. I think he's expected to be back. So be an interesting jolt. Uh, also, if he makes a playoff, there's a very good. They would be the four seed. They played Georgia a year ago. As Pete mentioned, that would be kind of interesting. All right, the flip side of this. Now that job is off. There's one uh, major opening left. I think Temple's still open, and some others maybe uh, is Oklahoma. But it's possible that uh, we'll see what Oklahoma does. But it's possible this doesn't reverberate out into the wildest coaching search of all time. So I'm not sure what Miami's going to do, some things like that, but uh, the, or the coaching carousel. The the one interesting thing would be the the ideal candidate on paper for Notre Dame was Luke Fickle, who's proven himself at Cincinnati in a huge way. Uh, 11 and two, 11 and three, nine and one, 12 and zero. Oh. You know, the last two years, the only loss was th- was the Georgia in that Peach Bowl, a very close game. Fickle appears to be staying at Cincinnati unless he's going to go to Oklahoma or he's going to wait out and maybe there's another another swing of this or maybe Ryan Day goes to the Chicago Bears or something like that. I don't know. But other than that, Luke Fickle may be back at Cincinnati for a for a sixth season. Uh, that would be huge. And and the idea that Cincinnati could maybe just put this behind them uh, if they're in this playoff and it's Luke Fickle builds off this playoff as they go into the Big 12 is huge. Pete, what's up with uh, with your guy Luke? Pat wrote a column on this very thing today on on SI uh, on on SI.com. And if if you had said at the start of this season that Marcus Freeman would get the Notre Dame job over Luke Fickle, <laughs> you know, I would have been pretty surprised. And we just laid out exactly why. It's perfectly sensible in the moment. Um, but I mean, Luke Fickle was Marcus Freeman's coach, so it's it's uh, you know it's it, it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty stunning development. That makes perfect sense in real time, but from thirty thousand feet, there's a little bit of a there's a little bit of a wow factor there. It will be curious how Oklahoma's timeline plays out in this search. If we see them hire somebody by this weekend, or if it stretches into next week, 
I would think that would at least increase the chance of Luke Fickle talking to uh, Oklahoma, which, in my opinion, is a perpetually underrated and underappreciated job, considering just how they've relentlessly won for a long time. They've completely outclassed Texas. I mean, Texas has just been a punching bag, basically, for the uh, for the Sooners. For if you look at the number of conference championships won the past two decades, I mean, it's a it's a embarrassingly lopsided number for the uh, for the people in Austin. Oklahoma is an iconic blue blood kind of place. I really uh, it, it'll be really interesting to see uh, where they go. Uh, Brent Venables is one of theirs. He was there for a long time with Joe Castiglione, I believe coordinated in eight national title games, which if it, it you know, other, you know, <laughs> that's just, it means you kind of know how to get a defense to the national title game. What you do it the eighth time, he's lost a, f- a few of those, but that's, you know, that's, that's just pretty good, pretty good track record. Uh, you know, Matt Campbell, obviously, they, you know, he's had a few, uh, he's had a few interviews on the field uh, in front of Joe Castiglione in the past couple of years that have gone pretty well for the Cyclones, not that well for the, for the, for the Sooners. And, uh, and if it does stretch past this weekend, uh, maybe they knock on the door of Dan Lanning, like I mentioned before. He is kind of the, the, the young charger hidden by the Belichickian ways of the, uh, of the Saban tree where, you know, you don't, uh, like Dan, do you know what Dan Lanning looks like? No. Yeah. There you go. Well, I, I, yes, yes. Uh, yeah. from the would you, if you walked by Dan Lanning in like seven 11 today and he wasn't wearing a Georgia, <laughs> if he's not on the sideline of the Georgia yeah. game. No. Yeah, exactly. So if he's whereas, on the sideline. Like, yeah. Yeah. Whereas like Marcus Freeman, you got knew Marcus Freeman was right. You know, like there's just, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. How, I hate head coaches that do that to their assistants. Yes. Like what's the, what is yeah. the harm again? Yeah. Like, well, like it, you're trying to help a guy. Like everybody wants to become a head coach. Ever, you know, one uh, voice, one voice. Yeah, like we, think of how Do much they ever Sam say Pitt, anything. Yeah, think of how much Sam Pittman we were deprived of, right? <laughs> right. And with everything being for done for recruiting now, like if I was an O line guy and Sam Pittman was doing weekly interviews, like I'd want to go play for that. Like that's I, it's, it's. I would like try a, to make every coach of my staff famous. Yeah. Right. I would want them all on TikTok. I want them all on having their own show. I want them all having a personality because, yeah, if you knew like Sam Pittman was known as the, uh, you know, the offensive line whisperer or whatever, or whatever. I don't think you whispered offensive lineman, but whatever. <laughs> and you got this colorful personality and that it'd be like, hey, man, I'm an offensive lineman. I'm interested. I'm not just interested in the head coach. I'm interested in my position coach. It's a guy. So another another subject. Dan Lanning will be fine. I'm yeah. sure he. No, he's going to be. be he's okay. going to be fine. So he could. He'll be okay. Yeah, I just think he and could George. get some. He could get some juice here in a couple of these. It'll be. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, to see how it unfolds. But Pat, you wrote the column about uh, Luke Fickle. Yeah, I think you called Cincinnati the winner of the coaching cycle so far. And if this pans out, they would be right. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, uh, it, some good again, winners. going to back to this piece of the thirty thousand foot view, five elite coaching jobs open up in one season and by almost acclamation the most attractive coach coming into this season is undefeated so he should still be super attractive and he's still the coach at Cincinnati which I called him stair step you because they had Brian uh, Mark D'Antonio stop there and then go on they had Brian Kelly go on they had Butch Jones go on and now you're sitting there and you still got him I mean it's amazing to me and I mean, maybe he could end up in Oklahoma. Maybe there's an NFL job. You know, the Bears may, if they don't want Ryan Day, maybe they want Luke Fickle. I don't know. But, uh, you know, it's it's not over for now. They are the big winner. Just the fact that Cincinnati has held on to their guy throughout this whole thing. And I, I can't believe says, he didn't quit before the playoff. <laughs> I mean, there's no guarantee they make it. That's right. That's the way to go. He did not pull I mean, We're not going to win Kelly. it. We can't win it at Cincinnati. So let's get out of here. Let's go. He did not pull a weasel move like Brian Kelly. No, he did not. Uh, so he is still there. And, you know, I think it's very cool. And obviously, you know, he's a guy that we've talked about a bunch on the podcast and Pete's written about. I've written about to a degree. But, you know, his focus on a season and on a team is hard to shake. He's not one of these guys that has rabbit ears for what else is going on in the profession. And he means it. And secondly, he's been a very loyal guy to Cincinnati. Third, Cincinnati, he has helped put Cincinnati in a position to go to the Big 12. So, like, these opportunities now, it's a better job than it's ever been, and they got maybe the best guy who's ever had it, and it's win, 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 win right now for Cincinnati. And you make a lot of money. You make a you make not, perfectly fine living. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's what Harbaugh's making, and his Harbaugh's line is, you can only eat one steak and a meal, right? Like how, <laughs> Right. So, <laughs> 
It's like, yeah, good, fair enough point. Like, you know, people are all, Harbaugh's not making enough money now. It's like, Harbaugh was a pro athlete for 50, like, I think he's going to make it in I life. So. I don't, I don't. <laughs> he's probably going to buy a lot of Walmart khakis. And probably got a little 401k stashed away. I, I think, think so. Jim will be a, the outrage if not pushing for, I actually think Harbaugh should never take a raise and use it as a recruiting pitch. You're yeah. like, I don't need to, I don't need 10 million to coach your son. Right. Right. Like it's the best thing for him. Like sure. Sure, just, 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 you know, oh, it's easy for me to say someone offers me $4 million more dollars. I'm taking every <laughs> yeah. last but, damn penny. No, but, the, but his money, his money. Hey, quick thought now here too with Oklahoma. I, I'm going to continue to, to push my conspiracy theory here just for fun because it's a podcast, but did anybody see the Barry Switzer, I think it was Twitter post uh, today, where Bob Stoops is out on the road now recruiting for Oklahoma. He's recruiting, yes. yes. Well, he's getting paid three hundred twenty-five grand for a month of work. <laughs> for maybe a month of work. Maybe. maybe. Which, but that's that that's Kevin only, still blush. Yeah. But hey, if Mel Tucker and Brian Kelly are getting $9.5 they're making what? That's that's uh, seven hundred grand a month? Eight hundred grand a month? Eight hundred grand a month. So Stoops is clipping coupons, man. Like, what is this? <laughs> is. Yeah. Have some respect on Bob Stoops' name, Oklahoma. <laughs> but I don't know how often Barry Switzer posts on, maybe he posts all the time, but a long, impassioned thing about how much Bob Stoops loves Oklahoma. And there's just something in me that I could hear. Son's there, isn't it? One of his sons playing yeah, there, Drake and one's Stoops like a. There. Yeah. yeah. And one's a, like a. Like a student assistant or something, or you know, yeah. something with the program. When the release came out and said Bob was the interim coach, it didn't say I'm coaching one game. It just said I'm the interim coach. I can hear the wheels turning. May, this may all turn out to be wrong, and everybody can mock me for it if it is. But Joe Castiglione sits there and says, "You know, when we went into this, we we had no idea that Bob Stoops would end up being our coach. You know, we just." We asked him if he could help us in a trying time, and because of his love for Oklahoma, he stepped up and said he would. But then when I saw the energy that Bob brought to the job and the happiness that he had and just how quickly he switched back into that coaching mode, I knew he could do it again. And so that's why we're reintroducing Bob Stoops as the coach at Oklahoma. Pat is the dramatic read there was yeah. tremendous. <laughs> yeah. Pat, Pat had his caffeine Pat today. Yeah, that's introducing <laughs> Pat Forty. It's Joe Castiglione, right? That's how they do it in the... Yeah, um, I, don't, I don't see that happening, by the way, but it's a fun conspiracy. It here. might not. It yeah. might not. I also well, remember, he was tired Riley of wouldn't coaching. leave Oklahoma yeah. for L.A. because he's from Mule Shoe, Texas, so our listeners know better than to listen to me. He was a little burnt out on coaching. Now, there's a lot more that goes into the OU job than the one he took, but then he was in, like, the XFL getting his you know, checks bounced on him uh, or whatever. One of It was XFL, I yeah, think. Yeah, one of those yeah. leagues yep. that, that, that never work, unfortunately. Right. Um, all right, let's get to this playoff committee, uh, the playoff. Oh, management, whatever parlance they got. The management council of the playoff committee met in uh, uh, Dallas, Fort Worth. Uh, you know, they're down to business when they're just meeting at airport hotels. No, I was I was, yeah. I was like, really? That's yeah. a little Spartan for you guys. You're actually doing some work this time, not at the uh, Royal Vista somewhere. <laughs> That would scare a bowl director if I were them. I would be very nervous because <laughs> not a golf course connected. Not so. the, the Hyatt uh, Dallas Fort Worth Airport has a nice little lobby bar, but it ain't the Biltmore. Okay, so they had a meeting. They they like they set up a room like they might have an announcement. Bowlesby Sankey said they were there for a deal. No deal. Okay, the issue seems to be so they have agreed on some certain things. First round. Games, which I like, but Bulls taking over for the semifinals and finals. I I just eliminate the Bulls, but whatever. That my my opinion is not going to make go very far in this, or or the six game rotation in there somehow. And they 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 all want to expand, but the issue is possibly some are holding the line at eight instead of twelve. The SEC says hell no, we're either going twelve or four. And then the debate is, do you take the automatic bids for the six? highest ranked champions on selection Sunday, or are there five set aside for the power five conferences and then one extra for wh whoever else. And then you would have six at large uh, teams. So that's the issue. Now there's two things on that. Obviously, if you have it set aside, you could have something like, uh, you know, uh, like last year, Northwestern nearly beat Ohio state 
in the Big Ten championship game. And then all of a sudden you've got oh Northwestern in the playoff, right? When they're not they're not a playoff caliber team per se. The other is really uh Mike Oresco at the American is is pounding the table saying, I don't want the distinction of power five, uh, the label power five and then everyone else. In most years, the difference between the top six and five and one is not is not going to uh, maybe one out of 10 years, this is going to be a thing. So for most of us, who cares? What are you hearing and your thoughts on can they iron this out? Because apparently they came close yesterday, but they couldn't. Who the hell is going to screw this up, Pat? Who is going to mess this up? Who do I need to have taken out? That's that's the question here. Kneecapped. Well, uh, you know, I, I can't say for sure what the exact dynamics were coming out of their, the room yesterday because I wasn't there. But, you know, in recent weeks, the ACC has been one of the, the roadblocks. You know, they, they have, have been reticent to go to 12 for whatever the reason may be. And there, there's multiple possibilities there. It really hadn't been articulated very much, but whether it is you know, legitimately university presidents of places that are high academic schools saying, hell no, we do not want to play that many games straight through December. Uh, we do wait, not wait, want wait. that many rounds. Whether In the AAC, the high academic schools of the AAC? The ACC. Oh, ACC. Okay, I'm sorry. Because I was going to say, yeah. the, like, Rice or whatever is not, or you know, the, <laughs> yeah. they're not no, going no. to play very long in this playoff. <laughs> no. Neither are the high academic schools of the ACC. ACC, yeah. Duke is not going to play four games. Sorry. No, and neither is, you know, most likely Virginia, BC, Wake Forest, or Georgia Tech. But so whether it's that, whether it is this is our one chance still to squeeze Notre Dame in, in, into, a, into, a, into joining us, because if, if we go to eight and there's six bids and there's only then two at large and Notre Dame may not get one of those two at large, uh, there is whether there's just pure anger or spite over uh, the SEC power play still, whether they're still trying to look for leverage to, to redo their contract with ESPN. I, I don't know what all the, the – motivating factors are there but the ACC that seemingly would benefit from a larger playoff uh, seems to be one of the reasons that we have not yet gotten to a larger playoff this will get done at some point right we're going to expand to 12 at some point and everybody's got a piece of the cookie they want to protect or accentuate or enhance and again like we said nobody's nobody's ever looking out for the greater good right the the baffling thing about the ACC faction of this. So when would this, if everything had gone smoothly, which it never does in college uh, football, this should have started, Pat, we're in 22 next year, 23. So it would have started in 23 or 24, right? That was the yes, earliest? I think so, yeah. 24 is the mm -hmm. earliest. 24 right. was kind of what the target, I think, was, yeah. So let's just say in 24, Clemson finishes sixth, Florida State is revived, and they finish ninth. And wherever the ACC headquarters are at that time, they will be stormed from Tallahassee and they will be stormed from a tiny town in South Carolina. The league and the commissioner, they will not be able to recover from that. Like just the, eventually the realities of what fans want are going to overcome whatever they're angling for. Now, I'm not criticizing them for trying to, in the short term, maybe get a little something extra out of the Orange Bowl, maybe like – the, the ACC is in a terrible place because of that TV contract. The danger going forward here, because I don't think they can renegotiate to 2036, is you don't have a lot of, of at-bats to improve. Now, I do give them a lot of credit. They finally got the Comcast deal done. That's going to be a nice sweetener for those ACC schools. And it's also, by the way, good for people in America of cable to watch the games. You know, like that's just <laughs> small small nuance of, uh, of of that, but it's good for it's good for everybody. So that's a big win, big early win for Jim Phillips' tenure. How long will they be able to stand on the tightrope here as it becomes glaringly obvious? And we started to see some bus throwing from commissioners yesterday, and I think we'll start to see more as the weeks go on here. And, you know, it'd be interesting to see where Kevin Warren checks in on this and the Big Ten checks in on this because – that's another that's another space. I mean, they would actually be numerically the biggest benefactor. And look, I'm all for student athlete welfare. I don't want to poo poo it. Um, but it's essentially the the five percent chance one extra game may be played something like that. Right. It's not that's more of a hobby horse thought than or like what I guess everyone 
I guess some teams will play an extra game, right? But very few. Some two teams will play an extra game, but some will, the idea that you're playing two extra is no because is unlikely because yes, you'd that's have the to have 5% the five percent scenario, right? It's but also it, look these the de- things have changed in college sports. Like you know, we talked about the coaches leaving. Well, now the players can leave, and that's good, right? And if you you know look at the TV numbers that we already have this year. I mean, we had fifteen million plus watched Ohio State Michigan. Yeah. Okay. That is an NFL number. It was not long ago only 10 million people would watch the you know a, a, a LSU BAM. Like that's a huge there's a bunch of really good numbers. This weekend will get huge numbers. If you're Aiden Hutchinson, you make a lot of money off of 15 million people watching you destroy a, a line, right? All these guys can make more money. So yeah you got to play an extra game but there's there's profit in that game. Because these games are going to get huge ratings, so I I feel like the player welfare thing is is a is an issue, but less of an issue. At least that's my bottom line thing. That's fair. Yeah, yeah I think that's I I think that's uh, that that's really uh, that's really fair as well. So the worst thing the objectors have going for them, the people in the room, is that America already thinks this is happening. Like nobody's following the very dull details of commissioner negotiations. I don't say nobody, you know, our listeners are, fans are, but your, your Johnny, you know, six pack watches the Hawkeyes every Saturday fan just assumes like that they're rolling forward with this thing. So when that doesn't, when the reality of that doesn't happen and then people are fingered as the reasons that doesn't happen. And then these massive fan bases realize those decisions deprive them of the postseason. That's not going to be a good result. And if you're the ACC, and I, I, you're any of these leagues, like the ACC title game this weekend would be awesome. Yeah. If if the winner gets in. Yeah. And I mean, two schools that don't normally get a chance to play in a spotlight, everyone watching, Pitt first, Wake Forest, winner goes to the playoff. Biggest game for those two schools, for Wake maybe ever, and for Pitt certainly since like Dan Marino was around and Tony Dorsett, right? So a long time and it'd be this epic thing and everyone would watch. Instead, no one's going to be watching this thing or the, the ratings will be much lower. Quite frankly, no, we no. probably won't watch. Right. No, we'll, be, gonna we'll watch be watching the, the Big Ten, which is at the same time. Yeah. Right. right. And, and you know, we talked like we'll talk in a minute, but like like we said, like there's chaos where Oregon could get into this playoff. Well, imagine if Friday night you absolutely knew Oregon or Utah's getting in. Right. Exactly. Winner gets in. That stakes, man. That's like the NCAA tournament where, you know. Right, they show those Metro Atlantic, but but it just, yeah. it'd be so good. You know, we've covered a lot of uh, Metro Atlantic tournament. Yes. I, the Albany, up in Albany or Buffalo. Oh, yeah. um, good times. Great, great, great event. And it is a fun event. But you just, there's, there's other value to having people care about your game. And what is the value for a school like Pitt? or a school like Wake Forest to get into this NCAA, get into this playoff. And, oh, my goodness, what if they hosted a game? Like, Pitt's been dying to sell out three rivers for a game, and imagine if they're hosting a playoff game. Like, this is our year, man. Like, enormous, enormous value beyond, I don't know, whatever, you know, not quantifiable, but the donations, the tickets, the recruiting momentum, all of it. Instead, congratulations, one of you guys finally broke through in the ACC, and no one's going to remember it. (laughs) <laughs> You're gonna go play in the Chick Fil A Bowl at noon on on New Year's Day, and nobody cares anymore. And it, honestly, that's an awesome game. Wake Forest has this totally funky, unique offense. Sam Hartman is a stud of a player. Wake Forest got two great receivers. Pitt's got Kenny Pickett. Jordan Addison's gonna be you know one of the one of the, the first round pick in two years. The the receiver there, like it's an awesome football game that the current constraints of the sport are minimizing. And it yeah. is completely ironic that there's not yeah. urgency from the ACC to change that. Yeah, especially right. for their, when for their own good. Yes, and we could we could have a playoff. Okay, that just felt Georgia like a Dan Pete. Wetzel column. I just said it <laughs> is. No, I've I've been writing it, and I've I, it's I've asked and asked and asked for years. Like I'm like, why do you not want your games to matter? <laughs> yeah, why do you not want your championship? Well, we get to go to this bowl game, and I went on a cruise. <laughs> Uh, I met Sally at the Blue Bonnet Bowl. I think the, back in '64, we came back and upset Tech. And we danced with her at the bar. It's a special time for people, young people. Uh, we don't want to lose that tradition. 
Okay. Good. You got a 1.2 rating on your damn championship game, moron. Anyway. But he sent a nice set of golf clubs for my 60th birthday. Yeah. And I was guaranteed tee times there for the next 12 yeah. years. Literally. I mean, there's John Junker buying golf with Jack Nicholas and taking conference commissioners and assistant commissioners with him. Like, yeah. Got to play with Jack Nicholas and a hundred grand on, a, on an auction bid. Take, I mean, it's like, great. We got a screwy playoff. Um, all right, let's um, let's get to the race for the case, though. We got to pick some games. Because uh, we do have a four-team playoff this year, and it's going to get settled on Sunday, and uh, a lot of things can happen here. Uh, what, the last thing I was just about to say about, and it feeds into this, like we are, we are Alabama beating Georgia and Baylor beating Oklahoma State. Probably, if you put those two as a parlay, it would be a negative, right? I don't know, or it's even. Mo- I don't know what, but that that is not. Those two results are not anything more than a coin flip. I mean, Georgia's favored, and and Baylor isn't that far down. Um, and you would have a fourteen playoff, which only features the SEC and Big Ten champion, <laughs> potentially. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be great. And yet some of these leagues are dragging their feet. Well, they're aligned all right in their alliance. They're aligned to their irrelevancy. Like they are they're, they're not getting <laughs> the Pac-12 hasn't been in half a decade. Like the like you really want so their playoff could be your playoff could be Georgia and then three northern teams, including two that aren't in the major conferences. Cincinnati, which obviously is going there, and and Notre Dame, and then Michigan. Like I, the South might su- might secede from the Union on that. That might be the thing that breaks our precious Union is that three fourths <laughs> of the playoff is north of the Mason Dixon line. Like, they don't play up there, Paul. <laughs> ain't played nobody. You're gonna fire on Fort Sumter again. Here we go. Honestly, like he's so funny. Let's get to the games though, because we got some good ones. It's gonna be fun. Oklahoma State versus Baylor, AT and T Stadium. Noon, ABC, get over, get over to the Walmart early, get some Christmas shopping in, and then cross the street. The big game. Oklahoma State giving five and a half over under 46.5. 50% of the bets, 60% of the money on the pokes. Pretty dead even right there. Pat, who you got? Or should we make Pete pick first every time because he's going to win this thing? It's over. You know what? He's won it. Congratulations. (laughs) Hey, we still got the Army Navy game. Come on. (laughs) All right. It's not (laughs) over. Maybe it is. I don't know. Pat, I don't who's know. Winning the big, who's winning the big? Yes. Who's winning the big twelve? In the shadows of the August Walmart, uh, <laughs> there will be an upset occurring in Jerry World. I am taking the Baylor Bears uh, and taking the points, and I think they could win outright. Here's my theory, which of course could be wrong, but Oklahoma State just won arguably the biggest game in the program history, and certainly the biggest game that Mike Gundy has won. When they finally got over on Oklahoma. Dramatic comeback late Saturday night. They get it done. You now have to turn around and play a team you have already played that's got a book on you. You have a book on them, but they have a book on you and they lost. So they realize now, okay, what do we need to do differently to beat you? Baylor's a good quality team. I think Oklahoma State will probably show up with a lot of juice for a quarter, but do they have enough juice for four quarters? They can talk themselves into a quarter worth of juice but do you have four coming off of a war in which you beat your hated rival for the first time in a long time on a Saturday night? So I am taking the letdown theory, and I'm taking the Baylor Bears. Uh, I'm taking Baylor with the five and a half, and uh, I'm not going to get cute and say, I think they only lose by three, but I have a hard time. I think Baylor will win, actually, and uh, uh, they lost what, by 10 in Stillwater. This is a Baylor team that plays complementary football, is designed to play in close games. And uh, they've really, uh, you know, they've, they've won close games. And then they've, they've obviously, uh, they've obviously when, they, when they have lost, um, which obviously hasn't been, uh, hasn't been a lot this season, those, those, have also been, uh, those have also been close losses to Oklahoma State. And then they got, they got snagged by two to, uh, to TCU on the road in Fort Worth. So neutral site. I think it will be a. I think this will be one of the better games of the weekend, and I'm going to take uh, Baylor in a low-scoring upset. Hell yeah! Give me them pokes, baby. Give me the fighting Robbie Crowders, our old coworker. He's going to be tailgating the shadow of Walmart. I got to. I got to. Got to take the pokes here. Thank you, Pete. Let's go. 
Fade Pete. I uh, fade Pete. I'm gonna fade you guys too. Look, I actually think Baylor. This is a really. I wouldn't pick this game. This is a. This is a pick 'em. But I'm gonna say this. In all the weeks in Oklahoma State history, this is one of the all-time greatest. First, they finally beat Oklahoma. They end Oklahoma's playoff dreams. They win the. They win the. Whatever. They get a place in the Big Twelve. They they. The, the next day, the Wonderkin coach from OU bails and leaves for, for USC and basically says, oh, you're a stepping stone job. Then all the recruits quit. Their quarterback could be headed to the transfer portal with all the other guys. Bosworth himself runs the, the, the Dr. Pepper. He's guarding that thing. The Dr. Pepper transfer portal. Boz, it's the worst defense I've ever seen. You let half the Sooners leave. <laughs> kind of loyalty to the p- program you got. Get bought off by Dr. Pepper. <laughs> you call out Boz. I'm still not messing with Boz. Sheriff in those yeah. commercials. Other you know? than a sinkhole, just take an Owen Field into the center of the earth. This has been the greatest <laughs> thing ever, and it's going to continue on Saturday. They're going to three shots for everybody, baby. The mullet is going to beat Baylor. <laughs> go to the playoff and party in that Walmart parking lot. <laughs> That's one of the better one of the better picks of the uh, of the year, right there. Absolutely no analysis. <laughs> no, no, none. All right, uh, four p.m. Houston at Cincinnati. American. Cincinnati's given ten and a half over under fifty three point five. Can the Bearcats do this? Eighty percent of the bets bet MGM. Ninety percent of the money bet MGM. Houston. Well, I will uh, I will start this pick by giving just a boatload of credit to Doug Belk, the Houston defensive coordinator, who has really been the the new defensive coordinator, has really been the linchpin of Houston's defense uh, turning around this year. Let's just say that old Houston hasn't exactly been a uh, a font of rugged defensive football, at least since Todd Orlando was there and they were slugging around Lamar Jackson uh, six seven years ago. When you look right now in the standings. Houston has the 19th best scoring defense in the country, 19.8 points per game. And I I say this all to say, I do not think this is, this game in no way is any kind of, any kind of walkover for, uh, for, for Cincinnati. Houston is, Houston is an excellent football team that has, uh, that has dynamic players. They have dynamic special teams. They have some of the, some of the best corners in the country. So Houston was 80th in the country in scoring defense last year. So 12-point improvement, um, 60 spots, essentially, in the uh, in, in the rankings. So all that said, I'm taking the Bearcats. Yeah, I just think the moment the atmosphere in the 30 Bearcat seniors gives them a way to figure out how to get it done. At this point, I'm not I'm not picking against Desmond Ritter. It tends to have a lot of points, and Cincinnati hasn't always won pretty this year, but I do feel like they found their mojo a little bit. Um, and uh, and have started to play well. The three block kicks against East Carolina certainly uh, gave uh, Houston special teams coordinator some nightmares. I would think this week. So I think the Bearcats. Uh, I think the Bearcats roll with an exclamation point, and then immediately go in the fetal position to to wait for the committee to potentially uh, <laughs> soil their dreams. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I think I just heard Pete argue with himself there. Kind of did. He kind of did. Kind of did. That's kind of what it sounded like to me. Uh, You can take the mullet, man. You can take the mullet. You go right ahead, Pat. I am not. I am not. I'm (laughs) I'm taking Cincinnati, but I'm just pointing out a little conflict there on the way to pick. There was conflict. But I didn't do what you do is you're like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Uh But I'm going to take Miami to cover against. Alabama. <laughs> That's it. That's conflict. First week of the season. I'll never live it down. <laughs> All right. This is, yeah, yeah. Well, that started kind of portended how things were going to go this it year. It did. It did. But uh, no, Derek I'm, I'm taking still Cincinnati. In college. Uh, Houston, Houston has kind of come through a little bit of a soft road the last three weeks. I think that's kind of pumped up their defensive uh, stats a little bit. When the last time they played a good team was SMU and they needed a kick return touchdown on like the last play to win that game. Uh, Cincinnati is locked in, eyes on the prize, all aligned. Home atmosphere is going to be crazy, and they're going to get it done and get it done by two touchdowns. Bearcats. 
Come on, Houston. Let's go. Got to take them. Fade Pete. Here we go. Let down spot. Their coach is going to OU. They're all scared. They're looking at the playoff. They're overlooking the Cougars. Come on. Sully Sully has a mullet, so I think he's like obligated to pick all the mullet coaches. Well, Sully, you could check bet MGM, see if they'll give you the mullet parlay. (laughs) Yes. Okay. (laughs) Juice that number. The mullet parlay. There you go. Holgo. Mullet and Gundy. What do you get? 12 to yeah. 1. I don't know. Might get something there. Uh I'm going to take I'm going to take UC on this. It's a, the fact they play it at the home. It's going to be it's the biggest game they've ever had there. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be fired up. This they're going to close this out and, and they're going to do it. I do think uh based on my previous pick of Oklahoma State that they're going to get uh jumped and I'm giving away my other picks, but it's going to be tense. It's going to be ugly. I don't know. It's going to be tight. If if my picks are my picks, uh but we will see. All right. Yeah, that's um, not a, I just to add this, that's not a light drinking crowd at Cincinnati. And we say that on this podcast is the highest compliment. So yeah, uh, yeah, if you're a beer stuff. vendor outside Nippert Stadium on Saturday and it's supposed to be a mild day, you are, uh, you're going to be making. Not a new game either. They, they got time. Yes, yeah, they have time. They'll, they'll go hard. They will oh, yeah. go hard. Yes. Much respect for the Cincinnati fan base and uh, how, uh, how excited they will be. For the, for I, I spent uh, the the night they played South Florida. I went to the Big Bearcat Bar in downtown Cincinnati, and man, it was uh, zesty, very zesty. <laughs> I was impressed. In my 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 old national college basketball days, I just basically hung out with Huggins down there. I just would constantly write Bob Huggins columns just so I could hang out in Cincinnati and get trashed. <laughs> I'm sure, Pat, that column you didn't participate in any of the zestiness. It was purely for uh, you know. Uh, for journalistic purposes. I, I, You know what? I did have to drive back to Louisville, so I okay. had one beer. Right. Right. I had one beer right. and otherwise minded my manners. Not easy to get out of Cincinnati alive. What about <laughs> Atlanta, Georgia, Bama? We've been waiting on this one from the start. Everybody predicted this. SEC title game. Uh, sometimes people are right. 4 p.m. on CBS, always the, uh, the centerpiece. Uh, even if some years, doesn't matter if you lose. I think Georgia can lose. They're still in, but they don't want to lose. They want to win this thing, uh, and they want to put a stake in Bama's heart. If nothing else, they don't have to play Bama again. Georgia is giving six and a half. The over-under is 49 and a half. 80% of the bets, 80% of the money. BetMGM is on the Georgia Bulldogs. Pat? Georgia's not going to win by a touchdown. Georgia's going to win by two touchdowns. Oh, Georgia's going to hit that. Georgia's going to drag the tide. They are going to dominate them in the trenches. They're going to beat them up. I don't think this is going to be close. I Perhaps this is colored somewhat by watching Alabama wheeze past a bad Auburn team last week. But this is a much, much better team on both sides of the ball. And yes, as you said, they are really motivated to want to bury Alabama. They have been burned by Alabama badly in recent years. This is their chance to get over on them. I don't think this is a close game. Georgia rolls. So I am biased by Pat's biases, and I won't try to do <laughs> Pat. Pat did like a, I'm going to go to Louisville. No, just kidding. Kentucky hat there. I'm not going to do that. Um, I uh, <laughs> <laughs> That was. That was like a signing day. That yes. was good. That was good. I got. I fell for it. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was in a similar perch to uh, Mr. The thing 40. about Pat is he's not usually elusive and tricky. He is a wrecking ball. <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. you, you know where he stands. He's a fullback. Yeah. He's right. Don't through, have the much a, he, no. through the Iverson crossover on me, and I, I'm just <laughs> down and out. I'm just... <laughs> I broke your ankles. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Watch the uh, right tackle position uh, if you're foolish enough to bet Alabama because that is where Alabama was atrocious against Auburn. They couldn't block that side. They rotated dudes through there. Um, you know, if you're really going to put actual money on this, Alabama's center has been dinged up. Those are just like things to watch going into the game. But healthy, not healthy, that line will not be able to withstand Georgia's front seven. And Bryce Young is great. Scrambling, erratic Bryce Young can't be good. I just uh, this there will have to be some sort of very unsaven like path to victory, which would be like a couple deep shots over the top. And again, Bama has really good skill. They don't have Bama skill of past. 
So what was it? What was Mechie targeted 28 times or 24 times against Auburn, Pat? It was. I don't know. Zandless. Was, now, part of that was Jamison Williams getting ejected. Correct. But still. Correct. I mean, yeah. boy, they, yeah. they don't have the depth of skill for sure. They don't have the number of weapons. Their chances to take shots, because I don't think they can sustain any kind of drives. And that, the problem is they don't have time to take shots because Georgia's front seven is just going to maul them. So I don't see a lot of path. To, I don't see a path to 14 points for Alabama without a little bit of a little bit of goofiness. So and I think Kirby Smart, to his credit, has become a much better game coach. Right. Like he yeah, started out yeah. in his in his uh, in his late 30s and, you know, made some made some high profile mistakes. I think he's he knows exactly what he has and he has 2011 Alabama. And he has shown a great comfort in coaching this style of team to win. Yeah, unless Stetson Bennett implodes like he did in the second half of that game last season, which I just, but I just don't think there'll be pressure, the same type of pressure on him because Alabama's offense won't be able to do that. Now, that said, we'll be counting the punts in the press box. Like, there'll be some punts. They will be punting to win. <laughs> they will be. Sully? Oh man, I want to say <laughs> can't do so it. Bad. Can't take Yeah, I can't. 1980. They're scared. <laughs> it's been it's been forever. Let's go, Tide. Come on. They let me down last week. Oh. Somebody's reaching two, for that one. All right. Two things. The Tide are schizophrenic, right? They're like the Northwestern seasoned, right? Last place, first place. <laughs> like every time I think I they they suck, they do great. When I think they're great, they suck. It's, so I'm a little scary there. I still want to be proven wrong in my thoughts about the boutique law firm of Stetson Bennett. I got to take Georgia in this. Just too much, too much defensive line, too many injuries on Bama, not enough depth. Six and a half isn't enough. They, they could beat seven is nothing in college football. Uh, I got Georgia winning this game and, and, and covering. So I'm going to take them. All right. ACC championship game. Pitt first Wake Forest game is at uh, Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, 8 p.m. on ABC. Pitt Panthers are giving three over under 71. You could have gotten a hell of a bet if you said Pitt was going to be a three-point favorite in the ACC championship game this year. That would have been a good preseason bet. 70% of them bets and the money are also on the Panthers. I'm going to take the Panthers. Uh, this would be a fun game. You said the over under 71. Boy, I would. That's a, that. That is a juicy. Uh, that is a juicy over right there because these defenses are pretty pedestrian and these offenses are very good. And uh, yeah, I think this will be a fun track meet. I just think Pitt has a few more playmakers and will have a, a little bit of better aptitude to hold on. But I I have conviction on the over. I don't have conviction on the game. But give me the fighting Narduzies. Yep. Uh, I, I'm taking Pitt as well. Uh, I just think they're playing a little better here at the end of the season. They've they've finished very well. Pickett's great. Hartman's great. I do agree with what Pete said earlier. I mean, this will be a fun game. This will be a, a shootout. It's going to be up and down. It may go down to the last possession, but I'm rolling with the Panthers, and I think Pitt probably comes up. Narduzzi's, he, he doesn't have a great defense, but he can come up with some pressure. They sack the quarterback a lot, 46 sacks on the season. So I think that uh, they get after Sam Hartman enough to make him make a couple of mistakes and capitalize on that. And the Panthers win and cover. I'm taking the ACC coach of the year. Felt a little chesty this week. Dave Clawson throwing some shots at at, uh, at at Kirk Herbstreet saying that they only had six fans. He's feeling <laughs> it. Let's go wake. By the way, Dave, Dave listens to this podcast uh, pretty, pretty regularly and has complained that uh, no one on ESPN picks them every week. Now I have picked Wake at the points this season, but yeah, we are we we are part yeah. of the motivation now. So if Wake wins, it will there clearly be, it will clearly because we have motivated uh, the the Demon Deacon sideline man. We're we're audio bulletin board material. Yes, yes, yeah. Coach, I'm sure Coach the Wake Clawson, roster I, we have a we have a strong listenership too. Uh, if you're gonna go with the no one believes in us, then cut it off before Sully because I'm with you too. <laughs> I love the Wake offense. Kenny Pickett, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to the, the Mountain Dew drinkers up there, Come Coach on. Narduzzi, all of them. I love this Wake offense. I don't love their defense as much. You can play that part. But uh, I'm going to take Wake to uh, – to, it's going to be a shootout, and if I'm getting three points in a shootout, I'm going to take it. I'm with, Pat, I'm with Pete on that over-under, though. Yeah. All right, Big Ten title game, 8 p.m., Lucas Oil in Indy. Game's on Fox. Michigan Wolverines giving 10 and a half over under 43.5. 
That's a lot of points for <laughs> a low It's going to be a little different stylistically than the ACC game at the same time. So they're, they're, it's basically a 26 to six, uh, no, it'd be a 27 to 16 game, according to that. 50% of the bets, but 70% of the money is on Michigan. No, I'm, I'm the same theory as Oklahoma State. Letdown theory, um, but not to the point that Iowa will win, but Iowa will cover. Too big a number. Getting double digits plus the hook there that I think could factor in significantly. Michigan shot a monster shot against Ohio State. And yes, everybody can talk the game of, you know, no, we are not done. We know we have to come back and play this game. This game means everything to us. We want to win the Big Ten title. Yeah, but your body expended a ton last weekend, and so did your mind. And I think you can come in and have a, have a lot of juice, but not enough to play four quarters of completely dominant football. Special teams and defense is the only thing that Iowa has that will give them a chance to keep it close. But against uh, Michigan, I think that's enough to keep it close. So this will be sword against club. This is not going to be high-tech, you know, pyrotechnic football. It's going to be who can run, who can punt well, who can turn something in on special teams. And I think the Wolverines win by seven, not by ten and a half. When in doubt, disagree with Pat. I think that's really what uh, what, it, what it comes <laughs> down to. You know, the the most apt team to Michigan in the Big Ten in terms of style and everything is Wisconsin. And Wisconsin really ragdolled Iowa uh, this year. That game was obviously in Madison, but it was a 20-point game. You know, Iowa's quietly sort of uh, strung together four straight wins um, in a very Iowa fashion, none by more than uh, none by more than ten points. They, I'm arguing with myself, by the way. Let me just let me just. I'm arguing with myself. <laughs> you are. Uh, there it is. Yeah, here, here I is. am. Iowa's got the 14th ranked run defense in the country. They, you know, they are they are built in a lot of ways like Michigan is built. But I just feel like Michigan has leaned into a very clean and concise identity this year. And I don't have much faith in Iowa moving the ball against the uh, against the Wolverines. I think if you're going to beat the Wolverines, and someone will at some point this year, you got to really exploit those corners on the uh, on on the outside. And I don't think Iowa is equipped to uh, to do that. So, apologies to Riley Moss and the boys. I don't think they'll be able to stop them. Let's go, Iowa, Fade Pete. Let's go, Kirk Ferentz, getting it done. I said earlier on this podcast this year that I was. The best team in the Big Ten that clearly uh, did not happen. But hey, <laughs> they are still the, they're still in the hunt. They can still prove me right. So let's go. My favorite sequence in all of college football this year was when Iowa was playing Penn State. They had a lead late in the game, a three point lead, I think. <laughs> yeah. And they took a knee. They went victory formation, even though the clock couldn't run out. <laughs> So they could make sure that they wouldn't turn it over before punting yes. with less than a minute left in the game. They took a victory formation when victory was not assured. Yeah. Press the kicking game, Dan. It was uh, press the kicking game. It was and so, so I, Kirk I, Ferentz, it hurt. I want them to win the big ten. I want a team that takes victory formation to punt <laughs> to win, but I can't do that. I hate this number. But Michigan, the way Michigan ran that ball, the way their offensive line is working, the way Hassan Haskins, Blake Corum, even Donovan Edwards catching the ball out of there, too much of an attack. Michigan's going Michigan's gonna to win and cover. But it's a big number. I actually have seen that number get to 11. The higher it goes, the less uh, I would wait. I would, I would wait and see what that thing Michigan uh, fans drunk to. on power betting their team. They, they are. That is true. All right, lock of the week. We only got a few things to pick that we didn't pick, but there are a couple out there. Who's got one? I got one. All right, Sully, go. I'm going to go San Diego State. Brady Hoke's going to be texting in all caps all night after winning a winning another game. Big one. Love to see it down there in San Diego State. They're got punt God. Everybody's rolling. They're gonna they're gonna win by more than a touchdown. They're playing six. Give me give me the Aztecs. Look, I'll take the the one COVID makeup game we had, and hallelujah for this season that we we didn't have last season. We had one COVID makeup game, USC at Cal, night game. USC doesn't care. USC doesn't want to be there. I'm not sure how much Cal wants to be there, but I think they're a team that's got every team's more locked in than whatever USC has left. So Cal giving four. That line has gone, by the way, from Cal getting points, getting one and a half, to giving four because everybody knows what USC's got left in the tank. 
Uh, give me the Golden Bears to win and cover that one. Can't spell quit without USC, except when they didn't <laughs> quit against BYU and covered. Very late at night, as I watched in my hotel room in rural Georgia, unhappily. That's I, true. I'll tell you what, Pat, I would go the other way. I'm not going to pick that game, but these guys now are playing for their... They got the boss in town now. Oh, that's true. Can I have it back? Uh-huh. Nope. Lock <laughs> no, it in. Uh-uh. <laughs> the boss is... I'm like, I'm busting my ass this weekend. I forgot about that factor. Ah, whatever. All right, I am going to take... All right, I'm going to... Western Kentucky's given three against UTSA Roadrunners. I'm taking Western Kentucky. I like the way they're moving the ball. Pick. I like the way they're playing. Western Kentucky to win the uh, Conference USA uh, Championship. So that is my pick. And so that is our race of the case. We'll tally it all up. I want to do one thing. Uh, we don't normally do this. This is a fun podcast. I'm going to talk real quickly. I wanted to do a say something nice out of for something that's not nice at all. There was a... The school shootings drive me freaking crazy they've driven me crazy for a long time there was one near my house recently up in oxford michigan and there was a kid one of the people who died all of them who died are absolute tragedy the saddest thing the worst the worst that happens right but one of them was a football player tate meyer is his name and he played for the oxford high school team junior he's a very good player six foot 190 he was going to play college football somewhere maybe division one right hadn't been heavily recruited didn't have any scholarship offers but his dream was to play for michigan state that was the dream. Scholarship, get an offer, play for Michigan State, play in the Big Ten. And again, people are starting to look. Well, this last weekend, this last weekend alive, uh, this poor kid, 16, he gets a shot to go visit, unofficial visit to Toledo, University of Toledo calls. They offer, come on down, get tickets, sideline passes, the whole thing, right? Um, they're going to play Akron. And look, at the, the, the coaches, the testimonies about how great of a kid this guy was is amazing. Uh, there's stories of him possibly running at the gunman to try to stop it and protect his classmates. I mean, it's, there's a million stories, but I'm going to tell this one that, to me, rings really interesting about him and tells me all I need to know. So so Tate Meyer uh, goes, and they're excited. His family's excited. They're going to go on a, you know, this is the the machinery of how most recruiting goes. This ain't this isn't a five-star player, but they're going to get to go to Toledo, watch the Toledo game. Well, the last minute, he gets a call. And he gets offered to come up for an unofficial visit, tickets to the game, sideline pass at Michigan State, right? Dream school. They're going to play Penn State. Obviously, when you're a kid, you, you know, doesn't get any bigger than that. All of a sudden, the, your dream school in the Big Ten calls and say, come up for, an, for your unofficial visit. Tate Meyer and his family told Michigan State, thank you. We're dying to come up and visit you. But we accepted the unofficial visit offer from Toledo, and it would be rude. <laughs> to not go. So he went, they went to the Toledo game and he posted a picture on the, on the sideline and all that. It wouldn't have been wrong to not go to Toledo, right? But sometimes you just do something more right. And when people do more right, it, it says a lot about them. And uh, I wish this kid had gotten a chance to play college football, wherever that was. I wish we could have given him some small sample Heisman as one of these, these guys that, that, that make the sport so much fun. But that didn't happen. So that's my story. That's a hell of a kid who does that. Yeah. Well said, Dan. No. Yeah, well said indeed. Rest in peace. God help his family. Yeah, we try to have it fun, but um, I just wanted to, that was a great story they had in the Detroit Free Press about him today. You can read more about it, but uh, great kid. We'll be back on Sunday. We'll have the playoff field. We will have the overreactions from all the mayhem that'll go on this weekend. There will be controversy. There will be shouting. There will be anger. Who the hell knows who gets in this thing? Uh, it's going to be fun. Keep subscribing, sharing us on social media. Uh, appreciate y'all. Talk to you later. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.